Twitter handle, at Religion of Woke. Did you know that when you were screwing over poor whites, you're also disproportionately screwing over blacks? Well, I don't know what disproportionate means, but that sounds nice. Real nice. Alright, let's uh, take a look at redlining. Um, so redlining is, well, I'll describe it here in a second, but, you know, my whole life, such that I heard about redlining, what is, it was just a racist thing to, whatever, keep, I guess, to prevent blacks from being able to leave their neighborhoods and or buy homes. So I'm going to read a little thing here from Wikipedia so that we know what it is, and then we'll have an interesting fact here at the end. In 1935, the Federal Home Loan Bank Board asked the Homeowners Loan Corporation to look at 239 cities and create, in quotes, residential security maps to indicate the level of security for real estate inv investment in each surveyed city. On the maps, the newest areas, those considered desirable for lending purposes, were outlined in green and known as Type A. These are typically affluent suburbs on the outskirts of cities. Type B neighborhoods, outlined in blue, were considered still desirable, whereas older Type C were labeled declining and outlined in yellow. Type D neighborhoods were outlined in red and were considered the most risky for mortgage support. While about 85% of the neighborhoods were white, Sorry, while about 85% of the residents of such neighborhoods were white, they included most of the African-American urban households. And so John McWhorter gives a similar stat, I guess the 30s and the 40s, so I don't know about the 50s, but through the 40s, 82% um, of the residents in, those, in the redlined districts, you know, neighborhoods, were white, but, you know, it was disproportionate to African-Americans, and so 97% of African-Americans, I guess, lived in those neighborhoods. Must not be counting rural stuff. I guess 97% of the African-Americans in those cities where they did any lining whatsoever lived in the redlined areas. So basically, I mean, it's not good that they were uh, denying mortgage support. I guess what? They help you get a mortgage. If you don't normally deserve a mortgage, the federal government would step in and help you get a mortgage. This is part of the big new deal. And so, but if you lived in these areas, I think basically it was like, it was an early form of credit rating. And they were like, don't loan to the people who live in these bad neighborhoods because they won't pay it back. And obviously, you know, just living in a neighborhood doesn't mean you don't pay back your loans, but they didn't have credit ratings back then. And that was their attempt like you know what are we gonna how are we gonna figure out who we can loan to and who will pay back their loans and they came up with this thing they said okay just people from this people from there they're they're more likely to not pay it back so don't loan to them but i guess the point is like the only thing i ever heard about redlining yeah was about how it screwed over black people there's absolutely no mention that you know basically the vast majority of the people who were redlined were white I mean, I think basically what it was is they came up with this idea. They were not thinking about race whatsoever. There's a million things like this. 
you know, you're not thinking about race and how and disproportionate impact, right? They didn't, they didn't, they probably hadn't invented the term disproportionate impact back then. So they're just like, oh yeah, those poor neighborhoods, blah, blah. And no one was like, oh, do you know that's where the black people live? And then, then that's going to make it disproportionate. They were just like, ah, this'll work. You know, I don't, I, maybe some of them had racist ideas. I bet they, it just didn't occur to them. They're like, those poor people, screw them. But again, it's, it's just a much more complicated situation than, you know, I was told. Like, so Wikipedia had that 85% of the people were white. And so, like, I, I went on Wikipedia's article on redlining. It's freaking huge. You know, it's probably 40 paragraphs or who knows what. And uh, basically, because I, I had heard that a lot of white people were in the neighborhood, so I wanted to see what Wiki, Wiki said. And so I searched the page for white, and it's like, you know, 50 or 100 times... The word white is used in the article, and it's all, I think, you know, other than that one, <laughs> that one statement, I mean, it's toward, towards the top, to their credit, but other than that one statement that says 85% of them are white, every other time, that you know, the, the other 99 times they use the word white in there is whatever, just to say how whites are bad. You know, this is a thing by whites against blacks, and apparently it's much more complicated. Like, I think we can all agree that uh, if you're a white person and you're a, whatever, grandpa and great or great-grandpa lived in a red-lined area, you probably don't deserve reparations. But kind of the way reparation, you know, the, the argument for reparations is kind of like you go, okay, we, you know, black people deserve reparations because of slavery. And then some people are like, well, you know, no black people today were alive during slavery. And in fact, you know, it's it's been 150 years since slavery ended. So then you might be like, well, you know, Jim Crow. You know, that that means we, you know, we got to have some reparations. And it's like, well, there's a few super old, there's a few super old people that lived under that in the south, but most of the country didn't even have Jim Crow. So, you know, how are we going to work that out? And you know that, and most most of the Jim Crow stuff happened, whatever, a hundred years ago, and more. Actually, I don't know what did that go. It went from 1865 to 1960, maybe. So, anyways, a lot of it happened a long time ago. Some of it happened more recently. So, anyways, the the third little leg of this stool, this uh, reparations stool, is redlining. So basically, people have a pretty intense incentive to talk about redlining as a purely racist attack on black wealth and you know therefore reparations are justified and whatever when you've got that incentive when you're trying to use it to make that particular point you got to leave out all the white people and i think i described how redlining works incorrectly i thought about it for a second it wasn't people from this neighborhood don't loan to them it was houses in that neighborhood don't loan to anyone who wants to buy those houses or sorry not loan but the federal government was like we're gonna we're not gonna help you get a mortgage if you're buying a house in the redlined area and so i guess i guess most people want to buy a house in the neighborhood that they live in so you know, basically, if you're like, I'm, leave, I'm leaving the red line neighborhood, I'm going to the green, the green line neighborhood, I think the federal government's like, sweet, we'll help you out. 
But if you're like, I live in the Red Line area and I want to buy a house in the same area that I live in, they're like, we're not going to help you. I mean, I think that makes it's, it sounds like one of those unintended consequences. So, like, basically, the white people, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them wanted to stay in their neighborhood. Who knows? They're, they, you know, their family's been living there for generations. But uh, basically, the this redlining stuff, which was you know, it was help, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like they made things worse for you. It was just how much help they gave you. So, anyways, they like, they would give you more and more help if you would leave the poor neighborhoods. And so, I haven't heard this stat yet. Like, did black people want to leave their neighborhoods less, so they left them less, so they got less help leaving than white people? I mean, I don't know. Basically, it's just, get out of that poor neighborhood and we'll help you. And then, oh, well, that neighborhood you want to get out of has a disproportionate amount of black people. I don't know, it's kind of weird. I, mean, I guess the suburbs were considered the good part of town back then. And, like, I don't know. Were, did black people want to move to the suburbs? Or they're like, I don't want to move to the suburbs. There's, it's all white people or, or what? I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to know what they were thinking. What your uh, average African-American resident of a redlined neighborhood thought about the suburbs back then. Or maybe the suburb houses were just too expensive, out of their range. I'm not sure. All right, some more information. So it sounds like, you know, Roosevelt, he wasn't like a raging racist who wanted to hurt black people. He was trying to, I think I called it the Big New Deal. It's just the, the New Deal. Not the Big Deal or the Big New Deal, the New Deal. But, you know, he was just trying to, whatever, help poor people. And, you know, he's trying to take from the rich and give to the poor. And he's considered, you know, one of the top presidents ever for doing that stuff. Social Security, etc. But uh, Glenn Lowry, he points out that, you know, how did they choose these neighborhoods to be redlined? Well, I mean, to start with, they chose poor neighborhoods. But it sounds like maybe, you know neighborhoods could change maybe they could get out of the red or back or get you know they could go up in colors or down in colors and if black people started moving to a white neighborhood it was more likely to get a red line around it so that ain't right i don't think that's right no one thinks that's right so glenn lowry is talking to david kaiser they're both highfalutin professors and David Kaiser is a historian, and he's, in not so many words, talking about how his history got woke. You know, historians and the books. Uh, you know, you might think like, oh, history, it just, history happened a certain way, and that's the end of it. But in fact, you know, history is written by the victors, or it's written by whoever writes the book. And, you know, you can make people look good or bad. You know, it's up to you, whoever writes the book. So, the first time things got woke was... So, after World War II, and for about... Um, for the next 20 years, you know, historians and everyone agreed that... Uh, America was great, and... You know, Russia was bad. Then the Vietnam War happened, and people were like... Basically rewriting history to say, oh, that whole time... You know, that whole time that we've been doing the Cold War with Russia since, you know, 45 to 65 or whatever, America was actually the evil one. Like, we dropped the bomb, you know, we dropped the nuke on Japan to 
show Russia that they better sit down and shut up ever after. And so, you know, I don't really care who's right, you know, was America in the right or, or was America in the wrong back then? It doesn't really matter what the, I think the important point to me is that, so for 20 years, the historians were writing their history with one viewpoint, and then historians changed their mind and started writing it, started writing the opposite, you know? You know, they, one guy would write a book that America's great, and then the next, you know, another guy, the new, you know, then they'd be writing a book about how America's terrible. So basically, they're not going by the facts. Either America was great, or it was terrible, or it was something in between, but historians don't actually tell you the truth, they just go by their own opinion. And so Kaiser mentions an interesting fact about this, like, so if, you know, if you're writing a, you know, if you're at a highfalutin college writing history papers or books, you gotta have footnotes. And so, you know, if you're, if you're there, when you just switch, like, you know, you're switching to America is evil, well, I mean, all the sources that you're going to be taking from are going to be about how America is great. And so what they do is they just they just misrepresent the sources, you know? They like, you know, some some book that said America was great, they write America was evil. See this book from 10 years ago. But in fact, that's not what the book said. So not only is it all just opinion, but they will basically they'll lie about it. I mean, that's what you got to do. Or else you got to start writing books without any sources and recreate the whole thing from scratch, which uh, you know that would have been the honest thing to do. But anyways, honesty is uh, whatever, not to be found in academia, even back then, I guess. And so, what's going on in history departments and universities across the country today? I mean, it's the same old thing. It used to be, you know, objectivity was what you strive for. Like no one's objective, but you can try and be objective. But anyways, that's been thrown in the trash, and the idea now is that there is no objective truth. There's just uh, different opinions, and the validity of those opinions is based on, you know, the race and gender and sexual orientation of the person speaking. And so you might think that's like, oh, well, a black person can stand up and say, I feel this is how history went, and then everyone's like, all right, that's how history went. I mean, and that is kind of true. But really, right, these, you know, these highfalutin universities, it's all white people. The professors are white. So it's basically just a bunch of stolen valor where the, the white professor is like, I'm speaking on behalf of marginalized groups. I'm speaking on behalf of women. You know, some man will be like, I'm speaking on behalf of women. And that's why you have to believe what I'm saying. And some white woman is like, I'm speaking on behalf of black men, so that's why you have to believe what I'm saying. Kind of funny, really. And sad. And so the context these guys are talking about is the case against the case for reparations. And they're talking about the New Deal, I think uh, Roosevelt, 30s. Social Security, for instance, got implemented or created. And one thing that happened with Social Security was they, uh, it basically was for factory workers. It was not for farm workers, which a lot of black people were. Um, it was not for domestic workers, you know, like maids, which I guess black people also were. It also wasn't for professional people, so, 
you know, whatever, lawyers and doctors, they did not get Social Security initially. And so there's a narrative, you know, there's a very strong narrative that you better not go against, otherwise you will get fired. Um, that the reason why they kept out the farm workers and the domestic workers was because Roosevelt had to make a deal with the Southerners to get the whole thing passed. And the Southerners were racist as hell, and they wanted to, whatever, you know, the Southerners were racist, and probably a bunch of America was racist, and so racist-ass America wanted to hurt black people, and so that's why they kept out farm workers and domestic workers. And it's true, they did keep them out for, I'm not sure, the 50s, anyways, everyone, everyone got covered starting somewhere in the 50s, so for 10, 20 years. But as one guy's point is that for every black worker in that ca in those categories, there was two or three white people in those categories, white workers. And so he doesn't think that whatever the Southerners or the people who went along with what the Southerners wanted, the Southerners hated the unions. I guess is part of it. Somehow that played a, played a part. But um, he doesn't think the Southerners hated black people so much. That they were like screwing over a bunch of white people that they loved. It was just, they didn't let, you know, whatever. It was poor people. They were screwing over poor people, most of whom were white, and uh, that was just how they liked it. But this becomes relevant when you start talking about reparations because motive, you know, what was the motive? Like if people were hurting black people on purpose, it gives uh, a much stronger claim for reparations than if, oh, you know, you got caught up in this thing where we were trying to take down a bunch of poor whites. And so I guess, you know, maybe some of these things were maybe because of racism, but mostly it's just that there's more whites. It's just white, you know, America had more white people. So basically black people were just getting caught up in stuff. Was, you know, white against white. Hey, that's how we like it. I guess maybe... Like today, they'd be like, hey, this is going to disproportionately hurt black people, even though it's intended for whites. And then we would change our minds about that. But back then, I guess that was the racism back then. The racism back then was, while you're taking down your white enemies, if that took down the blacks too, you didn't give a F. All right, another thing from back then was the GI Bill. And... There was black veterans and white veterans, and things did not, whatever, things ended up being disproportionate. So what's going on there? So basically, one of the things it could do was it would pay for you to go to college. And apparently, maybe 24% of white veterans and 15% of black veterans used it to go to college. So, you know, obviously that ain't equal, disparate, disparate outcomes there. So, I, okay, the guy hasn't said yet if the GI Bill itself is racist, but going on back then uh, in the South, the universities were segregated. I think that's why a lot of the black, you know, the historic, historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, I think they're in the South. And that must have been because black people couldn't go to a white university back in the day in the South, so they created their own. And that's almost like now today... They got a, the South has got a bunch of nice uh, black universities, I think, or at least several nice black universities where they don't have that anywhere else in the country. Maybe the southern part of the Midwest or southern part of the East Coast. 
But anyways, things were not fair for black people back then. I mean, whatever. If things ain't fair, things ain't fair. I'm against unfairness, so I guess I'm against what happened here was segregated colleges in the South, and then a lot of colleges had like a, you know, whatever. You had to you had to prove that you were a college material back then. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they had the SAT, but probably had to be a high school graduate or something like that. And so black people had a lower percentage of them being high school graduates and whatnot. I mean, I don't think white people were doing that great back then either. All right. So that was going on. It doesn't sound like the G, whatever, the GI Bill was unfair in itself. Like, you know, all veterans are eligible for it. But you're like, hey, you can go to college if you can get in. Well, you know, I don't know. What, what should they have said instead of you can go to college and we'll pay for it if you can get in? I guess maybe they should have had a affirmative action is what a person, a woke person today would say. So maybe they should have.